Welcome back, everyone, to the 40 Pep Podcast, where we bring leadership experience straight to your ears. I'm your host, Nolan Beck, and this episode is no different. Uh, We're calling this episode Fill in the Blanks because we are interviewing franchisee owner Phil McManus. Um, I I thought it was important that you guys hear from um, a franchisee owner who started out, you know, as a CSR, moved his way up, like the the common story, but it's a unique perspective. Um, And so I got this recommendation from Aaron Gilmore. Thank you, Aaron, again, for all the help you do um, with the show. And I just want to say, Phil, thank you for your time. I know you're a busy man, and I love talking to you, and I love the mindset you have in in running your franchise and how much you care about your employees um, and and your customers. so you, we got a lot of information for you. We, we sat down, we talked for a while. This is probably going to be a three-part episode, guys. So there's a lot of content, a lot you can learn from this episode, and I encourage you to listen to all three parts. Um, if you're somebody looking to possibly run your own franchise in the future, because we know that's possible going through Domino's, um, this is a great episode for you to listen to from beginning to end. Um, so without further ado, I don't want you guys to wait any longer because there is a lot to take in. Um, I present to you Phil McManus in fill in the blanks. But first, yeah, you know, commercials. Hello, Adrian Cotta. I have a mission for you, if you choose to accept it. The Noid is on the loose again. He's attacking our load and wait times, and this can't be permitted any longer. We want you to eliminate him by any means necessary. I'm going to set you up with our IT department, where we have new, cutting-edge technology to help you accomplish your mission. We also have updated the GPS tracker, which will allow more efficiency and better routing. So, are you ready to accept this mission? If so, load up and go. This message will self-destruct in five, four, three. In this episode, I wanted to bring somebody kind of in a unique position to kind of explain to some of you how it's possible to become a franchisee and kind of a a unique story on how Phil kind of got to that point. Um, He's got a unique perspective that we don't necessarily get to uh, peek in on a whole lot. Um, So thank you, Phil, for for joining us. I'm going to name this episode Fill in the Blanks. Are you cool with that? That's awesome. All right. Um, so uh, do you know uh, exactly how long ago it was when you started with Domino's? I, my first day with Domino's was November 4th, 1994. 94. Okay. So I was, I was pretty young. <laughs> um, and did you start out as like a CSR or driver, like a lot of people or? Yeah, it was my, my senior year in high school. I just turned 18. And um, driving around delivering pizza sounded like a good thing to do in my spare time. So I uh, started driving my my 
POS 1980 Chevy Love pickup truck. And, uh, and like, that's where I started. So, so you, you basically, you started out of high school as a, as a driver and makes, makes some extra money. And that's kind of a common story, right? Um, so what was the next step? What, like, what were you thinking of doing when, when you started that? Did you have no direction, no goals, and this kind of just became it? Or what was your original plan? Original plan was um, to, well, that party. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was in high school, you know, uh, yeah. every, every Friday and Saturday night was always an opportunity. And, you know, if you're the guy with, with money, you know, <laughs> your friends like you. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, so I, I didn't really have any motivation. It was just a, a high school job. It was something. Um, and uh, I was uh, at that time. Both of my brothers had left home. Um, they, were in, they were in the military. One of my brothers was in Germany. The other brother was uh, oh, where was he? Um, senior year, he was in San Antonio. But both both of them were in the military. Left home. I was the youngest of three with a single mother, and uh, so I, I got a job just to kind of help her out. And I. I was at home alone a lot of times. So I just needed something yeah. to do. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, I, I had no idea at that point that Domino's would be what it became, you know, really. So it was, it was something, we started off something to do. And, uh, when I went to college in Roswell, um, in 1990, well, I graduated in 95. So in, uh, <laughs> You're good. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if that was your parrot. Or <laughs> no, no, that was my story. Um, yeah, um, yeah. So when when I when I graduated high school, I graduated high school in '95. Uh, I went to college in '96. Moved to uh, Roswell. Started working for Domino's there. Um, and uh, a few months later, moved into management and uh, became a GM in '97. Um, so, so about two years from starting with the company, you were already taking over a store. Yeah, yeah, I was a, a GM at twenty um, in in ninety seven. Then I moved to Las Cruces in nineteen ninety eight. Um, actually, moved in to help my brother after his divorce, um, and uh, I just moved over there really just to support my brother. And ended up working for an incredible franchisee as a general manager, um, Philip Beck, who kind of taught me a lot of a lot. Um, taught me a lot of things to do, you know, and just, just, just like most mentors taught me. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but I was a, a GM for him from 98 till 2008 when I became a supervisor. So 10 years as a general. Ten years. Okay. Um, so, so when you, when you first became a, a general manager, like how did that conversation come about between, uh, you and Mr. Beck? Like, was it something you had been striving for or did you just not have like direction? And that was just kind of an opportunity put in your path. Yeah. I became a GM in Artesia, um, for, uh, Brian Bailey, actually. Okay. Franchise that I worked for. Um, and that was in 97. 96, 97. Yeah. Um, a little bit fuzzy. Um, but yeah, I, don't blame me. <laughs> I became a general manager because, um, uh, Brian Bailey was opening a brand new store in Artesia, New Mexico. And I was living in Roswell at the time. Um, I had become an AM and, uh, well, 
I was an MIT actually. I wasn't even an assistant manager. You couldn't okay. do that. I was I was just learning. So I was in, in management for four whole months. Um, when I was asked to be an assistant manager in this brand new store, so I, I agreed to relocate. That was a thirty-mile move, not a big deal. Um, to Artesia to be an assistant manager because I, you know, wanted to just continue learning and growing. And um, by the time I actually got moved, the person that was chosen to be the general manager had been fired. And so I was in a brand new store in a brand new market and the only one that actually lived there. So two weeks after they opened the store, I came in from summer vacation as the assistant, well, as the general manager and everybody else left. That's crazy. Like, so you literally just kind of fell in your lap. <laughs> I was willing to do it. My first day as a general manager, this is a, the nightmare story, right? My first day as a general manager, I literally called my supervisor and asked, um, Gene, how do you place a food order? That's, that's how prepared I'm. <laughs> okay. I, didn't, I didn't know how to make a schedule. I didn't know how to make a food order. I didn't know how to do inventory. I didn't know how to rotate food. I was as green as green can be, but willing to do the job. Right. And that's kind of like the most important part, right? Like I, I think the mentality, if you have the mentality to want to learn and, and kind of are willing to take the experience and, and teachings of whoever above you, that uh, you can turn anybody into a successful GM as long as that that will to learn and, and will to do the job is is there. Isn't that safe to say? No, that 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 is it. Yeah. Um, that will and that desire, that that need to to better yourself is important to succeed in anything. Yeah. You know. Um, and I, you know, it, it, in my story, I mean, it's a, it's a nightmare story how I got started. You know, the fact that I made it to my third month as a general manager um, is a miracle. <laughs> right. Um, I was overworked, under undertrained, and overstressed. You know, I had all, all the pressures of a general manager with none of the knowledge. You know, um, but I, I fell back on some of my, you know, my, my experience and my philosophies kind of started developing there. Um, and at that time, I was a really big into this is a little bit a little bit more of a backstory i was really big into um the boy scouts um okay. and i spent my summers working at a boy scout camp um called camp wahinape um i worked there for eight summers and the summer before i became a gm was my last summer working there um and i was actually the the director of uh what's called the cope program um when i was 21 and uh, it's called Challenging Outdoor Physical Encounters, um, and it's a leadership um, course. Okay. Uh, it, you know, they, they work with a group of kids for a week and teach them some basic leadership skills and more confidence than anything, which is, which is really cool. And, um, and kind of rare out there, right? Like the, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I took my experiences from that, and, you know, all the experiences that I have, like, in the, in the Boy Scouts, you know, one of the... One of the things that I did at the, and this is going to be kind of a weird circle, but I'll, I'll get to a point, I promise. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so while, while working at the, the scout camp, um, I was in an, or a, a part of the Boy Scouts called the Order of the Arrow, um, which is, it's no big secret or anything. Um, and the induction for the Order of the Arrow, what's called the tap-out ceremony, we did every Friday night. It was the, during the closing ceremonies of camp, right? And... That ceremony, from the time that I was inducted into the Order of the Arrow all the way through my life as a scout, um, 
and especially being a part of that ceremony at, as, as a staff member at the camp, um, there's one part of it that kind of still holds true to my philosophy today. And that's um, at the very beginning of it, the, the chief um, takes his two um, best scouts and he says, I want you to go out and, and search the crowd for those that are perfect. So, and I was always in the ceremony, I was one of those two scouts. So we run through the, the entire um, crowd, uh, all of the scouts, and we report back to the, the chief and we say, we found none that are perfect. And then he sends us back out and he says, I want you to go out and find those that strive to be perfect. And then we go out and find those that strive to be perfect. And those were the inductees to the Order of the Arrow. We, we'd stand them up and bring them down and, um, they would be tapped out. And that's what that began their journey in, in that part of the organization. Um, and that ceremony to this day kind of, it, it's my driving force. You know, I know I will never be perfect. Yeah. We're never going to be perfect. As a leader, you're never perfect. You're, the decisions you make, you question constantly. You're never going to be perfect. But as long as you're striving to be perfect, as long as you're striving to better yourself, as long as you're trying to, to, to just do better tomorrow than you did today, then you'll succeed. Yeah. That's, and that's, that's all we can ask for. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of like, you know, what I kind of clung to early on in my, as a GM and kind of held to that, you know, it's just like, is there something I don't know? If there's something I don't know, how can I learn it? You know, if there's a skill I'm not good at, how can I get better at it? You know, and uh, by constantly trying to better myself, I, I found really early on as a leader that it's, it's not about me. Um, if I can instill that same philosophy into my drivers, into my AM, then, and if I can get them trying to do better tomorrow than they did today and guide them through that process, then I become better, you know, and, and I, I really solidified that as a supervisor. Um, and I wish I, I wish I, I discovered that secret as a general manager, you know, that it's not about what I do. It's not about me. It's never about me. It's about, you know, I measure my success now through the success of my general managers, through the success of my, um, supervisors. I measure my supervisor through the success of his general managers. I measure my general right. managers through the actions of his assistant managers and other, and I, and even all the way down to the AM level, you know, I measure and 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 I measure the success and the ability of my assistant manager, not on what they're doing when I'm in the store. I'm watching what the crew is doing. I'm watching right. what the drivers right. are doing and how they're reacting while that person's in a leadership position. Yeah, what's what's the culture in the store? Like that that has a huge effect on and and the culture is is always you know, you can always go to the next level of who sets that culture, whether it's the GM with his staff or the supervisor with the GM or even the owner with, you know, the supervisors. I think when you have like a, a culture of positive mentality and uh, constant growth and trying to get even just 1% better each day, th that breeds, you know, that confidence that you were talking about earlier, you know, and we, we said, you know, earlier that, you know, leadership training is kind of, it's a rarity when you're in high school or, or, you know, even in your twenties, like leadership training is all about like people management and, you know, setting examples and figuring out how to hold people accountable for actions in a positive, with a positive outcome. Um, and, you know, having, 
you know, certain people that when somebody goes into work, they, they look forward to, to working for that person. I think it, it, it's a lost art, you know, training that with people. And, and I, I see something in Domino's that I haven't seen in other corporations where, you know, in, in some of their training programs, it's strictly about the, you know, can you do this in a certain amount of time? And can you, you know, do you know how many pepperonis go on a large pepperoni pizza? And do you know how to handle a customer complaint with, with wow? But being able to teach somebody effectively how to do that and how to bring in a positive culture, I think that that's hard to do. And when you find somebody that realizes that's the path and that's the way to go and when you have a, a support team helping you out, it makes the job a lot easier. And when you invest that time in, in those connections and those relationships, it only makes the employees want to work harder for you. And I've talked to a few people, in, including Ed, one of your supervisors, like people don't, they don't quit Domino's. Like Domino's is, is the same as any other, you know, fast food restaurant. Like they quit the manager, you know, they either like working for their manager or they don't. And, you know, that's not just on the manager, that's the entire culture of the store, you know, the people they work with, do they hold each other accountable? Do they build each other up when somebody's struggling? Like, are we helping them out or are we in the back, you know, laughing at them? Um, and I think, you know, what you are saying with your tradition of the Boy Scouts and having that kind of mentality, like, no, none of us are ever going to be perfect. But if we're willing to strive to be perfect or strive to even just be better each day, then like we, we need to give those people that attention that they deserve. Right. Right. And then as a, as a leader in, in our stores, you know, um, just kind of take, taking it that next step further, like it's my responsibility to invest as much as I possibly can into every one of my employees, as long as they're my employee, you know, even, even the bad ones, you know, if they're my employee, I'm going to be fighting to make them better. I'm going to be fighting to get them to be more efficient at their job, to care a little bit more, to, to do a better job until the day comes where one of us fires each other. Yeah. You know? And yeah. anytime an employee quits, I take it personally because they fired me. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not that I fired them. Like, literally, they fired me. They quit. They left. Yeah. You know? So at, at that point, one of us failed. You know, and uh, so, you know, until that time comes, you know, um, I'm always fighting to push somebody to do better, but, but there's also the, the case where, um, you know, I, our, our business, our, our, our stores are, we're very much so a stepping stone, temporary workplace for most people, 95% of the people that come to work for us are going to be here for six months to a year. Yep. Uh, they're, they're looking for a second job to pay off some credit cards. They're looking for something to do because they're bored. Like I did. Um, they're, you know, they're not going to be here for a long time. So while they are here, what, what can we do to make their life, to make their job, to make their, their future a little bit better, you know? And, right, right. and as long as, as long as somebody leaves my organization at any level to pursue something that's better for themselves, um, as long as they're, if, if, you know, if they leave me to go work for Pizza Hut, that's an epic fail. You know, if they yep. leave me to work for, for, for another uh, a, a lateral move, 
I don't feel like we did our job. But if they're going off to college, if they got a better job, if they're if they they're doing something to better their life, then that's what we're here for. Yes, exactly, hundred percent. And a lot of our a lot of our job, a lot of our what we're doing is we're training in, in many cases brand new employees. It's their first job. They don't yeah. get employees. You know, and we're teaching them how to survive in the workplace. And those yeah. skills, those those basic skills that we're teaching them, how to be on time, how to how to provide your, how to provide your availability, how to how to communicate with your, your with the leadership in your store, with the manager, you know. With customers. How to, how to deal with customers. Yeah. All, all of those skills are life skills, opportunities that we're giving them. So it's really, really important. But the yeah. is, is, is a very, very important job. Well, I, I've always like, anytime I, I've promoted a GM to the position and it's usually their first GM job. Like I, I tell them like managing like your, your food, your labor, like that, that's going to happen anyways. But your the most difficult part about your job is the people management, managing your staff, making sure that they respect you, that they want to come and work for you. And when you critique somebody, how to, you know, go into it with trying to make them better instead of trying to make them feel bad for making a mistake. And if you're not into people building, if you're not into teaching, if you're not into eating humble pie to make somebody happy, this, this job ain't for you. It, it's not because, you know, we live on humble pie, whether it's with a customer or with our employees. Like if, if you are a proud person and can't give in, this job ain't for you. If you want to teach people and you want them to become better, even like, like you said, most people don't make dominoes their career, but I'm going to make sure that whatever career they decide, I helped better them to be able to handle that life, you know, and, you know, showing, showing up on time. That's a respect thing. Not like it's a respect for your employees. It's a respect for the customers. So they don't have late food. Like, and for a high school kid to understand that, you know, that's not taught yet. And so we, we have, you know, the ability to better people so that when they go out and do what they want to do, they have a step above everybody else. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's, let's go back to you being a, a GM and, and recently promoted a supervisor. What, what was the big change be between being a GM and, you know, becoming a supervisor and what changes, because I'm still kind of a, a, a young buck as a supervisor and I'm still trying to learn, you know, how to kind of re- relinquish some of my, you know, worries and, you know, focus on just building up my GMs instead of trying to fix the problems for them. Um, so what, what did you uh, struggle with when you made that transition? Uh, for me, that was the most difficult transition of my career. Um, it, it it really was um, going into going from AM or from driver to AM. It's pretty easy. That that's a pretty simple. Your your job title changes, but you're still one of the guys. Um, going from AM to GM, it's a pretty smooth transition. Your, your responsibilities go through the roof, mm-hmm. um, but you're still one of the guys, and you're still and, and as a general manager, um, you're a hundred percent in control of your universe. You 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 live within your four walls, and you control every aspect inside those four walls. You know where the dirt is. You know what hasn't been cleaned, what needs to be cleaned, what you know. And everybody in that store knows exactly how you want it done, and they do it your way because you're there seeing them 
day in and day out. So as a general manager, I, I, I found like, and everybody styles a little bit differently. Me as a general manager, I, I micromanaged my store to oblivion. Um, there was nothing that happened in my store that wasn't done my way. Um, and I took that same philosophy and transitioned it into the supervisor position where I went from managing, you know, as a manager, you're managing a team and they're working for you under your philosophy directly one-on-one -on -one, um, and the buy-in is pretty easy. Um, once you shift to the supervisor position, you're managing leaders and you cannot micromanage leaders. You can't force a general manager into a box um, and tell him to do it that way um, because that's not the way he's used to doing it. That's not the way that that leader gets things done. So the, the hardest lesson I had to learn as a supervisor was how to manage leaders. And that was the first lesson. The second lesson was how to develop leaders, which was equally as difficult. Yeah. Um, like managing leaders, you have to know and understand that everybody has their own leadership style. Um, and there's, there's a reason why there's a very large section of books in the bookstore called leadership because everybody has their own point of view. They're all right. And they're all incredibly wrong, um, um all at the same time. Right. And, um, <laughs> you know, and that's why, uh, you know, and, and it, it took me a long time to understand, you know, that I need to foster and develop the leadership and teach my managers to do the same thing with their assistant managers. You know, you can't shove everybody into a box, you know, otherwise it, it would be great if I had seven fills running my company right now. Like, right. Really easy. Communication would be easy, right? It would be, you know, um, I, I wouldn't have to worry about anything because I knew, I know exactly how everything's going to be done. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that any of those fills would be happy doing their job they have no control they have no um no buy-in they have no uh, freedom, to, freedom to do the job the way that they know they can get it done yeah. you know so as a supervisor once you step into that role your job becomes more support than anything um my job is to give you know my job is as a supervisor and still to this day is to give my team, um, and I stole this directly from Anthony Fish. He's one of, he's Brian, Brian Bailey's uh, director of operations. We had a conversation a while ago and it, what he said to me just stuck, right? It's my job to provide the tools, the training and the opportunity for the managers. It's their, you know, and, and that's my job. You know, I, I provide the support for them. I give them the tools to do their job. I give them the knowledge to do their job and I give them the freedom to do their job. And then uh, once they latch onto that, then they can do it their way. You know, and as a supervisor, as a leader, it's, it's, it's my job to guide them. When I see them start heading in the wrong direction, you just, you don't, you don't come down with a fist. You just kind of nudge them back in the, in, the, in the right direction. And if you have the talent and skill to be able to get them to, to think that it was their idea, it's even better. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, and a lot of that is, you know, a lot of subtle conversations, you know, are you sure you're doing the right thing? Is it, you know, what's your plan? What's your goal? Are you, is doing it this way going to achieve that goal? You know, and there, there's a thousand different ways to get people to, to achieve that mission, you know, and that's what leadership is all about though, right? Like, a, yeah. like the, the true measure of a leader, the, how you define leadership, you know, it's, it's just one individual, a leader, one individual, um, 
influencing a group of people to achieve a common goal. You know, and you can't do that with an iron, like ruling with an iron fist. You know, you have to, there's a lot of subtlety. There's a lot of, a lot of frustration in in being a, a, you know, supervisor. I don't know how many times I've asked myself, (laughs) why, why don't they get it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, you were talking earlier about like different styles. And one thing I'm having to learn is kind of recognizing those different styles, you know, cause, cause I do have my way and I know there's, there's other ways, but if I haven't seen that way before, like, it's hard for me to be like, okay, this, this could work. And in my mind, I'm just like this, this, there's no way this is going to work. And so I've, I've been trying to battle that. And with any change that I see now, I try to go into with, all right, I'm going to give it a shot. And then we'll see what happens. Like even with like load and go switchovers or cutting edge switchovers, like I was very pessimistic at first, but then once we kind of got into the groove of things, it's honestly been a a blessing of a change, you know, especially with, with cutting edge, you know, not having labels, man, I wish I had that when, when I was a GM, like would have saved so much stress on Halloween and Super Bowls, like not having to worry about labels. Um, and so, right, yeah, and and so it's like I'm starting to, as a supervisor, change kind of my mindset on how I look at things. Because as a GM, it was very, all right, I'm doing it my way because this is my store and blah, blah, blah. But like you said, you, you can't be that way as a supervisor. Like your your job now is is to change from doing it my way to just supporting people and how they do it. And if, you know, if there's something that's not working right, it's not about telling them, all right, this ain't working. You need to get this fixed. You know, it's about giving them ideas, coaching them, training them on, on how to achieve that goal. Cause once, once you give them the information and they, they have that drive and the will that we were talking about earlier, like it should work itself out. They're going to want to get better and they're going to want to learn how to do the job because like nobody ever goes into a position wanting to fail. I don't, I don't think, you know, but having that work ethic to get to where you need to be, that's a whole different story. And I've, I've always said, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. We're actually at the point now where, you know, we're teaching our managers that philosophy, you know, I'm teaching, teaching my GMs how to supervise um, from, from day one, you know, the, cause the, the, the GMs are, you know, I don't want them to, I don't want to teach them how to run a store. I want to teach them how to run a business. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and teaching them how to be an effective leader and how to develop effective leaders underneath them just makes the store so much stronger. You know, yeah. so so we're teaching teaching our managers now, even at the GM level. You know, every manager is going to be a little bit different. You know, you can't treat Sally the same way you treat Joe. You can't treat Joe the same way you treat Jim. You know, they all are going to have their strengths and their weaknesses, and you have to put your team together to complement the strengths and weaknesses, you know, you think about that when you're building your schedule think about that when you're doing your training, you know, and use your people, use their strengths to help strengthen your weaknesses as, as a general manager, there's things that every general manager is absolutely amazing at. Um, but there's also things that we absolutely suck at, <laughs> right, uh, right. you know, and for me, um, you know, I, I, I'm quick to recognize who does things better than I do, you know, and I, you know, as, as a franchisee early on working with Ed as my general manager, um, 
I, I recognized quick that you can build a schedule better than I ever could. Yeah. So that was when I stopped building schedules. <laughs> well, and it was funny because when, when we talked, he, he went over like the different styles that you have compared to him. And he's kind of like, we got a problem. I'm going to stick with one solution and we're going to attack it. And if it doesn't work out, then we kind of change it on the fly where you're more methodical and go over every consequence and everything. And the beauty of it is they both work. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's what we talked about earlier. Everybody has a different style. Cause I'm, I'm more, probably more like Ed where I, you know, I'm just going to make it work. I'm going to find one solution and I'm going to roll with it and it's, it's going to happen. Yeah. And you know, I know other supervisors are that more methodical, think of every consequence and then kind of go into the numbers and, and figure it out. And, you know, there's, there's a hundred ways to solve a problem you know, and they all have different consequences, right? And the, the real magic happens in that when you when you start recognizing your different approaches, your different strengths, your different weaknesses, and then you start leveraging the the positive attributes of, of both of those. Like um, as his mind for how operations work is phenomenal. He's really good at when I give him a, one of my crazy stupid ideas, um, and I you know say how about how about we do this in their stores? He'll think about it for a minute and go, just no, dude. Um, <laughs> you know, um, and because he has a different point of view, a different way of looking at things, you know, um, we, you know, I'll, I'll have a concept and an idea and between the two of us, we, we, we communicate our, our different points of view with a mutual understanding, um, and are able to come up with an, a really effective way to implement that or, uh, a really good strategy to, 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 to put in place or a good policy to put in place, you know? So, um, I, I, I am not a one man show and you, you know, as a leader, you can't be, you know, if I don't listen to my people, if I don't listen to their point of view, if I don't listen to my general managers, um, I'm setting myself up to fail, you know, and that starts early, early on as a leader. If you don't listen to your people, if you don't listen to your customers, if you don't listen, um, then you're never going to learn. You know, you, you, nobody has the answers, you know, nobody has all of the answers, you know, and, uh, I, I'm constantly we're we are constantly as a franchise, we're constantly looking for those new perspectives, those new points of view, you know? And, uh, I think in, in the, in the list of things that I gave you, I put one of the things on there is like 95% of the things that I do, I, I steal hundred um, percent mm -hmm. a part of my strategy. You know, um, I see things that other people are doing and I'm like, that is amazing. How can I use that in my life? How can I use that in my store? How can I use that in my, in my, in my company? You know, um, one of the biggest things, and I'm just, just I'll, I'll get on my soapbox here for a second. Um, one of the latest things that came up that I saw, um, when I was at the road show in October, um, was the first presentation of load and go, um, actually it was the, the DFA meeting. It was actually before the, the, the road show. Um, I saw the first presentation with Shane Casey and Patrick Farmer about load and go. And uh, I, I couldn't help but like, like, as I'm looking at their presentation and seeing what they're doing in their stores, I'm like, that will work in my stores. That will work in my organization. That will make our jobs better. And from that point on, I was like a dog on a bone, um, actually pursuing, you know, how can I do this in my stores? How can we make this happen? How can I, you know, how can we do this? So reached out to the innovation team. I was on the first, you know, we were on the first wave of, the, the training um, with the uh, the load and go. So now we're one of the early adopters and um, it's a game changing system, you know, yeah. but did I come up with it? No, 
you know, um, did we find ways to make it work in our store? Did we adapt it a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So that's just like one example of the, like the 95% of stuff that we do, I stole. Um, my, the manager's playbook that I use in my stores, I, I stole from a supervisor. From, <laughs> we bought a store um, in Gallup, New Mexico, and uh, Vince Alton was the supervisor of that store working for Bob Gregory, I think was the franchisee's name that mm -hmm. bought the store. Um, Vince Alton, I, I love and respect that man. He's He has a mind for numbers that I will never come close to like yeah i love talking to him because he he just dissects the business in a way that i've never like dealt with but he had a uh oer compliance sheet that he had his team members fill out every day and it was just a basic small oer that like opening checklist that went through everything to get a five-star yeah but it was but it was all directed towards the the oer and and this dude his oer average for an eight-store franchise was 4.8 so i would be an idiot to not pay attention to what right doing right so I saw it and I loved it. I'm like, dude, I'm going to use this. So I, I copy, paste, made my own spreadsheet and literally copy, paste, um, threw my own little five cents in there to make it work in my stores. And then we pumped it out to all eight, all eight of, at that time. Uh, so we went from six stores to eight when we purchased those stores. So I went from those two stores. I put it in all, all the other six stores. Um, and uh, our OER scores by doing that went from 3.6 to 4.4 in the first year of implementing. Wow. System. Wow. <laughs> you know, so a huge success. Did I come up with it? Absolutely not. But I stole it and yeah. I added my 5% to it and then we got better because of it, you know, and then th there's also things like the, like every system like that, we have to make sure that it, it's evolvable too. Right. We're in an ever changing business. So that OER compliance sheet, which started off as one page, is now three, um, but it's also my manager playbook. Um, so one half of the page is basically the checklist of everything my managers every day has to do, um, plus the, well, we're going to call it the ops support checklist now, um, yeah. ops support compliance sheet, because um, we're going into the new system, which is cool. Um, and... Um, as long as they fill that out on a daily basis, no matter if it's a level 1 AM or my most senior GM, the stores run consistently. And I know the minimums are being managed on a daily basis. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and that's basically, you know, just a, a daily damage control checklist. And, and it's stuff that they need to be doing anyways. But, you know, we all need reminders, you know, here and there. And let me ask you this. So, so when you have that checklist, do you get people that just kind of – go through and just start checking off the boxes and they the, the pencil don't. whippers. Yes. Yes. The pencil whippers. Um, cause, um, cause I, I, go ahead. it happens. Um, and anytime we see it, um, the conversation is always a simple one and it's, <laughs> and this even starts at the make line, but the, the conversation is always, dude, I care more about your integrity and I care about the check on that piece of paper. All right, and that's it, everyone, for part one of Fill in the Blanks. Hope you guys learned something. I know I did. Uh, part two should be out next week. Please let me know what you think. Email me at 40peppodcast at dpzwest.com. That's the number, 40peppodcast at dpzwest.com. Until next time, be great out there, guys.